Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's episode of From Here to There, Lessons from the Israelites' Journey in the Wilderness, Dale South shares some lessons with us from God's call of Moses after he was in the desert wilderness of Midian for 40 years. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 and join us as we continue to learn how the journey from bondage to freedom points us to Jesus Christ. Good morning, brothers. God calls Moses and promises to deliver his people from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 20 and 6, 1 to 13. Those are kind of the focal passages, but we're, we're going to be looking at some others as, as well. Because last Friday, Hunter kind of re- related the story to us of, of Moses' birth and, and how his mom floated the baby in a basket in the waters along the reeds in the banks of the Nile River. And, and this little Jewish baby boy, who was just about three months old, um, he, had a, he had a death warrant on his head, uh, along with all the other little Jewish baby boys that were supposed to be thrown into the Nile to be drowned. Uh, and, and yet the Lord God used this tar-lined basket that his mom had made, and he turned it into like an ark of salvation as we look back with Noah and the ark and God saving him through the waters. And the Lord caused baby Moses not only to be rescued, but he caused him to be rescued by the king of Egypt's daughter. This is, this is just a marvelous uh, example of God's sovereignty and his power to provide. And this is good for us to note here, I think just a word, that, that the kings of Egypt were called pharaohs. Now, when I was younger, I didn't really understand that. I, I just thought pharaoh was the guy's name and the next Pharaoh was like his son. Well, Pharaoh is not a, not a proper name. It's just a title meaning king. And so all the kings of Egypt were called Pharaoh. So we're going to have different Pharaohs even in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh's daughter took Moses, though, and kind of adopted him as her very own son. And she raised him in the royal palace. And so think about this. Moses comes from a Jewish family. His, his own mother was able to nurse him for the first months of his life. But, but he was raised in a Jewish household, not just a Jewish household, but a royal Jewish, a royal um, Egyptian household. Excuse me. He had an Egyptian haircut that was distinct. He wore Egyptian clothing and they were royal clothes for him. And Moses probably spoke even Hebrew uh, with an Egyptian accent. He, he had all the best that money could buy him. And when, when Moses then grew up in this environment, he still was aware of his Jewish roots, and he, he had this uh, Jewish identity crisis going on, and this conflicted thing of, you know, I'm, I'm growing up here in the palace, but my people are Jewish, and my people are being subjected to total oppression and slavery. So when he was a young man, he angrily struck this Egyptian guy that was beating a Jewish slave. And the guy died. Moses, Moses hit him, I guess, just at the right place to kill him. And, and so in, in one sense, I think we see that striking and killing that Egyptian was a very first initial effort by Moses to deliver one of his Hebrew people from Egyptian oppression and cruelty. Uh, however, Moses' attempted rescue, it was done alone, it, it was done in his own strength, and it, it was done in secret. 
And it, it just did not end well. So guys, I, th- I think there's a word of caution to each of us here that when we take matters into our own hands and we, we, we try to go it alone, and we try to go it in our own strength and we're doing stuff in secret, chances are it's not going to end very well. And when, when Moses realized that someone was, uh, had seen him commit this homicide, he fled to the desert region of Midian, which is in northwest of uh, northwest Arabia, and it's near the Gulf of Aqaba there. And the Midianites were actually descended from Abraham as well, through his wife Keturah. We find that in Genesis chapter 25, verse 2. And so it, it was in Midian that Moses married a woman named Zipporah, and he had a child with her. And uh, since he was married to her, her father offered him a job as a, as a shepherd there, and her father was called a priest of Midian. We don't know exactly what kind of religion it was, but since he was a descendant of Abraham, he was probably at least aware of Yahweh, the God of the, the Hebrew people. And we see him listed here as Jethro at one point. We see him listed as Ruel at another point. And scholars aren't exactly sure if this was one was father and one was son or if it's two names for the, the same guy. But seems to I'm, I go pretty much that Ruel and Jethro were, were probably the same guy. And Moses tended his flocks then for 40 years there in Midian. This now brings us back up to date for where we're going to go in our passage this morning from Exodus chapter 3. So we're just going to read the first 13 verses of Exodus chapter 3 for for right now. If you have your Bibles or devices and would like to to read along with me. Um, And I'm going to pretty much paraphrase and share some of the other passages that we'll do. And we'll we'll put a couple of them on the screen that are especially uh, key passages here. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, 
that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this should be a sign for you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Moses continues on in his dialogue there with, with the Lord. And he, he just never is going to win the argument about not going. And I don't know if you've ever tried to argue with God when God's called you to do something. It's, it's usually a, a losing, always pretty much a losing battle one way or another. But... Moses was out in the desert, and he was at Mount Horeb here, which on the text is actually called, on the map we have here, is Sinai. These are the same two places. Horeb and Sinai are, are same place, one, one place, two different names. And we're going to see Mount Sinai again later, just a little, little teaser there. And, and God gives Moses himself sort of a, a teaser when he, when he says, you're going to come back to this place later on. Um, but as God is speaking to Moses out of this burning bush, and the bush was flaming with fire, but it wasn't being burned up. And, and when God says to Moses from the bush, Moses, Moses, uh, commentator Douglas Stewart, who I had for Old Testament seminary, uh, I like what he writes here. He says, in, in ancient Semitic culture, addressing someone by saying his or her name twice was a way of expressing endearment, that is, affection, friendship. So Moses would have understood immediately that he was being addressed by someone who loved him and was concerned about him. So that's why he was able to draw near the bush. But even though God was lovingly drawing him near, he warned Moses, you know, don't come too close because of my holiness. Now, uh, the Lord told Moses, take off your sandals because you're walking on holy ground. Guys, you know, there was absolutely nothing holy about that dirt, right? There was nothing there that there's probably a shrine today saying this is the holy dirt on which the burning bush was. There's nothing holy there about the dirt itself. What made that dirt a holy place was the presence of God. And, and that's what makes you and I holy to the degree that we get there, is the presence of God and His Spirit working in our life. There's nothing holy in and of itself. All the instruments of the temple that were used, some were dedicated for special service, set apart. They, nothing holy about one shovel compared to another shovel, except it was dedicated to the use of God. And, and so the Lord proceeded to tell Moses kind of who he was. He identified himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the, the Lord says that uh, he himself is going to deliver the Israelites out of the land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But he also says, but Moses is going to bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So both are being true here, that God is going to be the main deliverer, but Moses is going to be his representative leader among the human beings. And this is very similar to what we find even back in the creation story, when God creates Adam and Eve, and, and God is the king of the universe. He's the creator of it all, but he makes Adam and Eve sort of like sub-rulers and sub-kings there that they were to go about 
creating culture and spreading his image over the earth. So God's calling to Moses, guys, I think is a, it's a really big deal on a number of fronts. But we, what we, we don't want to miss here that, that Moses had fled Egypt as a man who had been wanted for murder. Uh, he, 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 he went out from there really to, to flee for his life. And, and here the Lord called Moses to return to Egypt. And he gave them one major assignment that he was going to have. And that was to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the the promised land. But as a part of that assignment, there were two difficult and dangerous tasks that Moses had to complete. And the the, the first one of those tasks was that he he was going to have to represent God as his leader and ambassador to the Egyptian king Pharaoh. Now, this is a different Pharaoh than, than the one before, probably. but this is a guy who, whose predecessor had wanted to kill Moses because he knew about him killing that other Egyptian. So Moses had fled for his life. Now, 40 years later, he's supposed to be going back there to speak to the king of, of Egypt, and he's going to be speaking truth to power. And that's one of the other things that God calls us to do as disciples at times, is we're called to the difficult and sometimes dangerous task of speaking truth to power. And then God also calls Moses to go back to the Israelite people, to the Hebrew people, and he's got to try to speak to them. This is a second task. Uh, and to say, you guys need to follow me because God has anointed me and he's called me and he's going to lead us out, but you got to follow me and we're going, to be, we're going to be breaking free from these chains of bondage and we're going to be going into freedom, into a land that's wonderful and flowing with, with milk and, and honey. But these, both of these tasks, of course, were, were very hard. Growing up in Pharaoh's palace while other Hebrew baby boys were, were being killed, uh, the people of Israel were not going to necessarily welcome Moses back. His two claims to fame were he grew up in the palace, and then when he killed an Egyptian, he fled for 40 years. And now he says, Johnny, come lately, coming back. It's not exactly the kind of resume that you would be thinking to be this great deliverer one would have, ex- one would have expected here. And so Moses um, himself was well aware of this. And he, he knew that he was going to have a hard time with Pharaoh. He knew that he would have a hard time. It would be difficult and dangerous, even with the Israelites. But he also knew that there were more than a million Hebrew lives at stake. Um, so how, how could Moses expect these Hebrew people, though, who didn't even know him? He's been gone for 40 years. How would they expect him to confront Pharaoh and all the power that was wielded there? And how would these people want to be able to follow him we're going to highlight five questions or five sort of concerns that Moses gives back to God. And then we're going to look at the response that God gives back to Moses. And I, I believe that um, every single one of us can probably identify with some of these things, if not all five of them, with Moses and his interactions with God, with his reluctance to <clears throat> really follow through on what he sensed God was calling him to do, that was something that was difficult and something that was, was dangerous. So the, the first thing that we see that, that Moses asked is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt? Uh, 
Moses' question, in one sense, is humble, and in another sense, it just lacks some confidence. But, but what he's really saying, I think, is, you know, I, I'm not qualified to do this. I mean, look at, look at me. I'm, I'm a shepherd guy here. I am not a battle warrior. I, you know, I'm not qualified. And in, in addition to saying I'm not qualified, I, I think Moses might have been thinking, I'm disqualified. I mean, look at the mess I made 40 years ago. Look at what brought me here to tending these sheep out here in the wilderness right now. Uh, surely I'm not the right guy for the job. And I think that there are times, guys, when we know that God is calling us to do something. And one of the first things you think, who am I to do this? You know, I'm, I'm not qualified to do this. In fact, if you look back over the course of my life and the ways that I've screwed things up, I I'm, I'm probably should be disqualified from being able to do this. But God's response to Moses is uh, very, very gentle and very kind. And we see how the Lord responds to Moses here. He says, but I will be with you. I'm going to go with you. What, what does it mean when God says, I am with you or I will be with you? Uh, if, I mean, after all, if God is omnipresent, right, if God is everywhere all the time, uh, then isn't God with everybody all the time? Is there Psalm 139 says, is there any place I can go to get away from you? I mean, so God is everywhere. Then isn't he always kind of with us? I, I did a study a few years back on the instances of the Bible where God said, or Jesus even says, I am with you or I will be with you. And, and there's really a special sort of flavor to that promise I found that just about every single case that God promised to be with someone was after he had given them a very difficult or dangerous, virtually impossible assignment for any human being to accomplish. You look back at Joshua when he's getting ready to go into the promised land after Moses didn't get to go with him. And God says, you know, don't be afraid, Joshua. Go in there to take over the land for I am with you. I mean, there was no way this little group of Israelites was going to be able to take over the land filled with these giants and people who had superior weaponry and all, if, if, unless God was with them. It was an impossible task, humanly speaking, for this group to be able to pull off. God spoke those words also when he was about to rescue and save his people from captivity, whether that would be Babylon or other place. He said, you're going to come out of here because I am with you. I'm going to be going before you in a specially powerful way. You know, and it's interesting that when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, <clears throat> he said, I am with you always to the very end of the earth or end of the age. And because the, the task that Jesus gave his disciples and the task that he gives you and me, go and make disciples of all nations it's not just a difficult task. It's, it's not just a dangerous task. It, it's a task that's absolutely impossible for us to do if God is not with us. God is the one who's going to be able to make that. And yet God does the delivering, and yet God uses representative human leaders to be able to make all that happen. He's got this way of weaving the two things, things together. So when God says, I'll be with you, it's not some comfort statement that we can just say, oh, God's going to be with me. You know, you know I, it's not, he's not saying you can go wherever you want to go, he's, and I'll be with you. He's not saying you can do whatever you want to do, and I'll be with you. He's saying when I ask you to do something that's hard and when it's dangerous, when it's humanly impossible and you can't do it, 
I will be with you. He's saying, I, I don't want you to think you can do this because you can't do it. That what I'm assigning to you, I don't want you to do it without me. I want you to do it. I want to do it through you. We're going to do this together. So the, the Lord gave Moses and sort of this prophetic teaser there on Mount Sinai with the burning bush. And he said, this is going to be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So that's just remember this moment, God's saying, and, and know that I have been with you in a special way when you bring a million Israelites or more back here to this mountain. And you're going to remember, ah, yes, out of that burning bush, God said he was going to do this. Now, the second concern that Moses had is when the people ask me which God I'm talking about, what, what, what's his name? What am I going to tell them? And his question was legitimate. He said, if, if, said, if I'm going to tell them that God sent me, and there's so many gods in Egypt, so many gods all around, they're going to want to, to make sure that uh, what God it is that I'm claiming to deliver them through or that it's going to deliver them through me. And Moses was essentially saying, I believe here, I, I, I don't know enough about you to introduce you to others. I, I, I need to know more information. And I, I think that's also sometimes an excuse that we would have about what God's calling us. I don't know enough about God yet. I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I, need, I need to know more before I can embark on this assignment. And, and the Lord God then responds to Moses with this. And he says, tell them, I am who I am. He says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. And he says he wants the people to remember him by this name forever. Now, I, I believe that these two questions we've looked at of Moses' concerns, you know, who am I to do this, and who are you, who do I tell them that you are, kind of give us the, the big idea for this morning, and I think that's going to tie chapters 3 through 6 together here. The more important question is not who am I. The, the more important question is who is I am, Okay. Uh, we, we talk about a lot about trying to find out, well, who am I? I got to go find myself. Well, we're not going to find ourselves unless we find I am and who is I am. And it's in him that we really get to find out who we are because he's the one who created us in his image. So we find Moses' third um, concern about accepting God's call in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Um, and he says, but they will not, what if they, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, and they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So what we have here is Moses is fearing the rejection of the people. I better go back up here with one, I think. Fear the people would reject him and reject the Lord's message, and it would all end up being a debacle. Uh, and, and the Lord decided he's going to give Moses, this was the Lord's response. He said, I'm going to give you the ability to perform supernatural signs and wonders. And that's going to assure the people they will pay attention to you when they see these amazing signs done by you and by the power of God. And in Exodus chapter 5, we see that's exactly what happened. They got back into Egypt. Aaron was with Moses at this time, and they spoke the words that the Lord has spoken to Moses, and they did the signs in the sight of all the people, and the people believed. That was chapter 5. A lot happened between chapter 5 and chapter 6. 
when Pharaoh is asked to let the people go, he becomes even more recalcitrant and hardened, and he starts to make the Israelites have to make more bricks with less straw, and he oppresses them even more and more and more. And the Hebrew people were oppressed so harshly that by chapter 6, verse 9, they were unwilling to listen to Moses anymore. He said, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Guys, there, there comes times when we're trying to share something of truth about God's word and about God's love to people, but people are just so broken by the harsh circumstances in their lives that they, they're not able to receive it at that point. But God still works through Moses and he works through the people and those people do eventually listen and they do come forth. So Moses' fourth concern is, you know, Lord, um, I'm not really very eloquent. I'm not either in the past or since you've even spoken to me. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. So Moses had some sort of a speech impediment and he, he, he may have actually been a stutterer. And what I think he's saying here is, God, you're asking me to do a lot of talking. You know, I got to talk to the people. I got to talk to Pharaoh. I've got to bring this message and then deliver these people out. I don't have the right skill sets to do what you're calling me to do. And then we see God's answer to Moses there. He said, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. Now, Moses has pretty much exhausted his concerns, and for everything that God has, has said back to him, he's just pretty much erased them and given him reason to say, that's not a good excuse, not a good excuse, not a good excuse, not a good excuse, because I'm the guy who's going to do the delivering, God says. I'm the guy who's going to go before you. I'm the guy who's going to empower you. And so Moses' fifth re- response or fifth concern to the Lord is, you know, God, would you, all right, enough, all right, you're not getting the hint, God. Would you just send somebody else, please? Okay, I I don't really want to do this. I'm not your guy. I don't have all the skill set for all this. Please send someone else. And then the Lord's response was understandably frustrated and he's angry. However, God agreed to have Moses' brother Aaron be his right-hand man and his spokesperson as as he went forth there. So uh, having exhausted all of Moses' excuses for not accepting the assignment the Lord had given him, Moses returned to Midian. He received his father-in-law Jethro's blessing to take his daughter and grandchildren to go. So he took his wife and his children back to Egypt. And there the Lord, Yahweh, I am, was, was sending Moses back to Egypt to deliver more than a million Hebrew people from the king of Egypt and slave masters throughout the whole country. And so, unlike Moses' first attempt to deliver one of his fellow Hebrew people from an Egyptian persecutor when he killed that Egyptian, and he did it alone, he did it in his own power, and he did it in secret, this time things are going to be very different. God, God is, Moses is not going to be going alone. He's got Aaron. He's going to have some people with him, and God is also going to be with him. Moses would not be doing this in his own strength. It's going to be the power of God that's being put on display. And there's there's going to be nothing secret about this because God wants all of Egypt to know that he is the great I am, the creator, the God, sustainer of the universe. 
and there's going to be a pillar of fire by night, and there's going to be a cloud by day, and it's going to be very, very visible and very, very spectacular as God gets the credit and the glory for delivering his people from the Egyptian king and slave masters. So we want to connect some dots here between God's deliverance of his people from the exodus in Egypt and God's deliverance of people from bondage to sin towards freedom in Christ. We said at the very beginning here that all of this is pointing toward Jesus. So in the New Testament, we we find that Jesus was even a greater deliverer than Moses. The author of Hebrew writes, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus was a greater Moses. And then the, the Lord God Yahweh revealed to Moses his special name. He said, I didn't give this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm telling you, this is my name, and I want to be remembered by this name. I am who I am. So tell the world, I am has sent you. Now, Jesus, in his ministry, in public ministry in Israel, in in the book of John chapter 8, we find that Jesus reveals himself also as I am. Let's look at these verses from John's gospel here. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And let me tell you, his his audience did not miss a lick of what he was saying to them. Didn't fly right over their heads. They picked up stones to throw at him because Jesus hit him. Then Jesus hit himself and went out of the temple because they were going to kill Jesus for committing blasphemy, for saying, I am, taking the very name of Yahweh from the Old Testament there. Jesus was, I am, incarnate. He he was, I am, in human flesh and blood. So God's mighty acts in the exodus from Egypt through the human representative Moses, pointing ahead to God's almighty acts in delivering people from slavery to sin through Jesus, the Lord, Yahweh, I am, in human flesh. So again, the big idea, the more important question is not who am I? but it is who is I am. For those of us here this morning who came to understand that that we were slaves to sin, we we couldn't do this alone. We couldn't do it in our own power. We, we, We couldn't do anything in secret to get out of our mess. And we came to, to recognize that, that God came to give himself in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the, 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 that he was the one who came to purchase our freedom by his own blood. And, w- and when we came to understand that and to receive that, and, and, and we, we renounced our demands to run our own lives and to do the things that we wanted to do, and we began to pursue God's rule in our lives, Scripture talks about This is dying to the old man, dying to the old self, and being born again. And God put his spirit in us and gave us a new spirit from within, a new heart, a new identity. And we began to pursue God's will rather than just pursuing our own will. And we found that we were finding ourselves delivered from the bondage of our sin and self-rule and finding freedom in Jesus and his rule. And that that born-again life begins this experience. It's a birth that happens in one moment, but it continues throughout the rest of our lives as we grow and understand what it means to pursue God's will above our own. And sometimes it's going to be difficult, and sometimes it's going to be dangerous, and sometimes it's going to be absolutely impossible for us to do in our human abilities. But God doesn't want us to do it in our human abilities because he wants to do it in us 
and, and through us. So our identity now has changed, and it's no longer a question of who am I. As we get to know who is I am, we come to find out that we are now in I am, and he is in us. So the question is not who am I, but who am I in I am? And if you've never done a study of your new identity in Christ, Hunter and I would love to provide some materials for you and walk through that with you, because if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're not the same guy that you used to be. There's a whole new identity, and we need to learn what that is because God tells us who we are. He's the manual maker. He's the one who created us, and so he, can, he has the right to tell us who we are, and it becomes our responsibility to receive who he says we are and to trust him just to deliver us from bondage out of sin into freedom in Jesus. So there's, there's another resource that I'll, I'll recommend to you. Our, our former emeritus pastor, Dick Woodward, who began these breakfast meetings in a hotel around 40 years ago, when I was still you know, back in college, I'd go to these breakfast meetings to hear this guy teach. First, I'm going to give you the first two secrets of the four secrets. He says, I am not, but he is. And I am in him and he is in me. What he's saying there is, I'm not the I am. Okay, he is the I am. And I am in him and he is in me. And the second spiritual secret is I can't, but he can, because I am in him and he is in me. There's two more secrets. If you want the book, we've got, got free ones at the chapel. We'd be happy to provide for you on another Friday. Just let me know and I'll bring you some books next week. But guys, if we're honest with ourselves, I believe most of us can identify with Moses when God asks him to do something that we may ask us to do something that we might find difficult or dangerous. We say, who am I? I'm just not qualified. Maybe I even feel like I've been disqualified in the past. Well, if, if you've repented of what your past is, your past is no longer something that's going to encumber God from being able to use you to what he calls you to do. And I don't know enough about the Lord or about the Bible to, to do what God's telling me to do. Well, there's a, there's a cure for that. It's, it's called getting into the scriptures. And you guys are here this morning because you're getting into the scriptures, but you can do it six other days out of the week and we can, we can help you. Uh, maybe you say, I'm afraid people are going to reject me and my words. And if I speak to them, I'm going to mess it up. Well, know that they rejected Jesus. They rejected Moses. They rejected Jesus. They rejected Paul at times. They will reject us, but that doesn't give us the, the loophole to not do what God calls us to do. And then, I don't have the right skill sets. Well, find some godly men who will train you in the skills that you lack. And when we get to the point of just saying, God, please, will you just send somebody else? And find somebody else to go along with you. Because God's not going to remove the call that he's placed there. The Lord God I am is not swayed by any of our excuses that we would use to try to get out of what he's calling us to do. The very first thing he calls us to do is to follow Jesus and move from bondage to sin to freedom in Christ. So if you don't know that freedom of being in Jesus and Jesus being in you, what's holding you back this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it would uh, not return to you empty or void in our lives, but that you would use it to accomplish your perfect purposes in each of us. Uh, respond to our lame excuses. Take them away. Remove them. 
Replace them with confident trust in you that you can make all things new, that you can take the disqualified and make them qualified, that you will go in us and through us and before us, that you are the great deliverer, the great I am, and you've called us to be a part of what you're doing. So please use us to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. I hope you will join us again next week for the next leg of our journey. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. Have a great week.